Welcome to The Back Shop, a podcast about the concepts and practice of media with a focus on its impact on society. Each week, we cover ideas about the theories, concepts, and history that have driven media development. We will also keep an eye on how new technologies are changing traditional ways of getting information at a time when democracy needs our engagement more than ever. This is The Back Shop. I'm your host, Jeremy Lata, an associate professor of journalism and communication at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to episode six. Last time we um, finished off an arc where we were talking about some of the economics of the media business. We have covered um, kind of the way media acquires its revenue writ large. Um, We've covered some of the structure of those media businesses, um, taking a look at uh, both the horizontally integrated um, companies that do the same type of stuff, like newspaper chains, and then the the, the increasing um, convergence of these companies into each other to create these vertically integrated conglomerates that are becoming monstrous and powerful in a lot of ways. Um, just as a very quick uh, example of something I just saw this week, um, the uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, if you haven't figured that out from online with me, and... Um, uh, so the new trailer, for, or the very last trailer, I guess, for Episode Nine for Star Wars, uh, dropped on Monday night during Monday Night Football, and uh, it was timed for 9:45 p.m. Uh, partly a decent enough chunk of a way through a, a very boring football game. Um, so they were trying to keep uh, their um, football fans engaged just so, because they had advertised this trailer was coming, uh, but they were also trying to draw on an audience of people who weren't maybe football fans, but they wanted to see it for the first time um, there. Uh, what was interesting to me for, as a media scholar was looking at just how conglomeration played such a big role in that because um, the uh, ESPN uh, is owned by Disney, um, and Disney also famously owns the Star Wars franchise. So they've got an, um, exclusive access to a very first trailer um, that is being pr- released on one of uh, for the very first time on one of its properties, um, and trying to drum up interest for uh, alternative programming that has nothing to do with Star Wars um, as as a way to basically increase ratings. So you bring in your Star Wars fans, you bring in your football fans, and the the Venn diagram that has both of those in the same same space. Um, all of that is is good for for Disney. So when we talked about uh, some of these these large conglomerates, that's that's why these companies are converging on each other is because. Um, every single media event that gets produced by a particular property within those conglomerates um, is a way to drum up business for other parts of it. And so uh, obviously Disney could have dropped that on YouTube, but it doesn't own YouTube. So, um, you know, the strategy that these, these companies play uh, is it, it's kind of interesting to watch this kind of stuff unfold. And, you know, you can look at the media landscape in a given week and see hundreds of these examples, um, how these businesses are benefiting from other parts of their business. Um, and working together. Now, the economic piece we've been talking about um, gives way, I think, uh, to a a different part of understanding the power of media. So, if we, if we if we look at the last few episodes, it's taking a look at the economic power of media and some of the challenges they are facing. Um, the other side of this equation, when we're talking about power, then is talking about the role they play in increasingly in. Um, in our lives and the, the power they have to shape uh, our sense of the world, uh, determine how we see that world and, and shape our discourse and, and frame and direct events then that move society forward. Um, and this could be at the governmental level, it could just be the day-to-day living piece, um, but they are all wrapped up together. 
and to really talk about that that um, that power that goes beyond just the economic um, uh, impact that they have and just the size of these companies. It, it, some of this is about talking about scholarship. So th- this episode and, and, and in the next couple, we're going to be talking about some of the major theories um, that, that guide the way scholars think about media. And this is the kind of stuff that if you're working in media industry, you may have heard some of these terms before, but the the intellectual understanding that has has driven the way we see these these um, these phenomenon um, is really important because that is how scholars talk about media and its impact beyond the business side of it and 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 really the the practical economic side. Um, the reason we do this in the academy is because um, is particularly my role as a, as a journalism instructor is to, yes, to guide um, our journalism majors here at Lehigh um, toward a career. And so there's a practical vocational aspect to their education that I think is really important and increasingly becoming the subject of a lot of questions when students visit campus with their parents. But there's there's more, it's, this is about more than just understanding and having the tools to go into the business to be able to get a job, you know. Um, and, and unfortunately, I feel like a lot of, short-sighted um, campus visitors really take a look at just that side of it because they're being eminently practical about um, the value of their degree. And it's, it's not to say that that your earning power and even your ability to find work is not important, but um, the best people in this business have a much broader understanding than just what's, what set of skills do I need to get my first job and move up the ladder. And so in my program, um, and a lot of journalism programs, not all of them, some of them are much more vocationally oriented, but um, in my program, we do much more uh, teaching of theory and practice. And that is that we teach the practice of media and the skills that are needed to get a job and to thrive in in the media business. But at the same time, we talk about theory as a way of understanding that business. Um, the example I use is that I graduated from college in 1997, and um, that was about three years after I had logged on the internet for the first time in a college dorm room. It was a very new thing. Um, and so my program, my journalism program, didn't even teach web stuff. I taught myself that stuff in college. I taught myself HTML and eventually other forms of code. Um, but that was not part of the college curriculum because it was so new. And to be honest, it was pretty hard to do. I mean, Blogger and WordPress were still a few years away. And... Um, so publishing was hard. And so really the kind of journalism education I got in college was um, ba- teaching basic storytelling skills across the dominant platforms, which at that point were writing platforms. That would be newspapers and magazines uh, for the most part and some book um, stuff, uh, television and radio. So that was largely it. Um, news sites were starting to move online by the late 90s, and uh, but the, those were fairly limited operations. And so they weren't really teaching that stuff. But I will say that my education, like a lot of these places that are doing theory and practice, they did a couple things for me that allowed me to adapt. They taught storytelling as a core tenet of journalistic production. Um, and that is that we aren't just disseminators of facts, and, and we don't just make lists of things people tell us. We don't just write down what's in the notebook and report that. Um, we, we try to merge details together to provide context, um, to challenge sources when we think that they aren't being completely honest with us, um, or to um, compare and contrast sources. And so the storytelling aspect is about taking facts and information about and creating narrative. Um, 
So, I mean, that's, that's the first piece of it. But the second part of it was, you know, I learned about the core philosophy of journalism and what it means. And we will spend some time talking about that in the coming episodes. Um, what is the definition of journalism? both in terms of just an, uh, an operating definition, but also the practice of journalism. How is it defined by its set of tools and methodologies that make, make it unique and different than just regular content on the web? Um, the reason why that's important, the reason I share that example is because when the world changed on me um, in the early part of 2000s and the internet became a much more dominant player and began to do some of the things we talked about a few episodes in, in terms of um, putting the, the newspaper business in peril, is that I was able to adapt, um, that I had skills that I had, for the most part, taught myself um, and, and allowed me then to move into other formats while still retaining that, that conceptual and theoretical DNA that defined what I do. And that is uh, journalism as a core set of methodologies um, and, and values is something you can port into a new space that um, that the thing that I used to understand what I was doing when I was writing and editing um, can be translated to video platforms, to social media platforms, and so forth. So we we look at theory and practice as being really important in, in a lot of swaths of journalism education. And again, there are vocational programs out there, but um, and they're mostly at schools that don't have programs. They you know they they teach journalism classes and fold it into a larger major. But a lot of the places that have a journalism major. And certainly a lot of the large journalism schools um, are, are teaching both. Um, they, um, they teach you the, the, the core of what it is and what it means to have journalism, but also um, they teach you the, 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 how, to, how to turn those, those beliefs and values into a, a set of practices. And when you take a look at it past journalism and just the media business writ large, then um, our, our understanding of what theory is and why it's important becomes really uh, huge because that allows us then to uh, understand what we see, um, to interpret things that are new um, based on what has come before it, and to really separate out what has changed and what has not. Um, and the, in, in a lot of ways, scholars are fairly resistant to the idea that there is something new out there, uh, that we tend to try to interpret it through the lenses of what has been done before. And that gives us, I think, at least some working knowledge that um, gives us some con contrast so that we can then pull out the things that are new. Um, so an example of that would be um, social media. I was one of the first scholars in my field to really be studying this at the, at the PhD candidate level. Um, I produced one of the first dissertations in my field on social media um, back when we weren't even calling it that. <laughs> it was a... Uh, we were calling a lot of different types of things like citizen journalism and participatory media and, and, and things like that. Um, so I, the question I got a lot from my mentors when I was in, in graduate school was, you know, well, what's new about this? I mean, this is self-publishing, but we've had self-publishing. We've had, we've had bloggers. We've had independent uh, publishers going back to the founding of America where a lot of these, our founding fathers were people with a printing press. And so what's different about Ben Franklin compared to random guy sitting in his basement tweeting um, on, on the internet? And uh, they, are, they are different, but the, the work of the scholar then is to, to contrast um, the new and the old and to, to try to understand the new through the lens of the old, partially as a way of explaining, but also to understand what is different. It really draws bright lines around the things that are new. So theory and concepts are really, 
really valuable for us. And um, so I wanted to use this episode to kind of talk through that. Just very quickly uh, to finish off this part of the episode, we will get into more specific theories um, in the next coming episodes, but I wanted to very first talk about what theory is. Um, I've talked about why it matters, but what is it? Theory is a fairly misused word in common um, parlance where we talk about, we have a theory about something in everyday language, and it doesn't quite mean the same thing as we use in the academy. So um, theory often, the way we talk to each other just in, in everyday discourse is usually means an educated guess about something, that you see um, you see something happening and you're trying to extrapolate or come up with a reason as to why something is happening. And so you're taking a best guess based on the data that's available to you. And that captures a piece of the scholarly definition, but it's not it entirely. So the best, the best way I have of explaining theory to a, a lay audience is that theory is a time-tested way of a, understanding phenomena that have been repeatedly observed. And time-tested meaning that we have, we have come up with a, a, a possible explanation and research has verified that, that that explanation is correct. And then it has been validated over time by repetition. Um, it is not an educated guess, but it's actually a guess that's based on evidence um, uh, that has been compiled and tested over time. And good theory is hard to build because it requires it requires both of those elements. It means requires, requires confirmation of um, our explanation being correct, and it requires validation over time. It needs to stand the test of time. One of the things that um, that um, is a hallmark of theory then is that it is falsifiable. Um, or, or you can, you, you're dealing with a theory if you, if there's an alternative explanation that could be tested. Um, and that is that, um, you can't come up with an explanation that cannot be disproven because it would be impossible to do so. Um, so, um, you need, you need to come up with a way to, to determine whether what you, you think is going on is true or not. And we use theory to explain things. Uh, we use theory to, to see something that's happening and to, um, to come up with a possible explanation based on the evidence and um, as a way to understand that phenomenon going forward. That is that when we, uh, when we see something happening in media then, that there are theoretical ways of understanding what's going on. Now, there are a couple of things I think that are worth noting. First of all, theories can um, be different ways of understanding the same thing. And so while they are not in conflict, they definitely still depend on some sort of point of view. Um, some theories that we have in my field are built entirely on quantitative models, for example. So what that means is that there are numbers-based ways of understanding things that are using statistics to validate them. Um, you know, survey data, um, data that exists at the, uh, um, like it's something that's being gathered in the background, like big data, um, experimental research um, has has given us a, a decent chunk of theory. Um, sometimes some of these theories have been tested across multiple modes, and so you've got uh, experimental data and survey data, for example, that have been used to kind of validate the fact that this thing is going on. But we have other types of theories that are what we call qualitative, and what that means is that they um, they are pri- trying to provide a uh, values or moral based. Um, 
explanation is probably the best way I have of putting it to lay audiences. Um, they are about trying to understand meaning um, and and not necessarily um, about coming trying to come up with a social science A B true false way of understanding the the world. So the way this usually works out in our field is cultural theory, um, and we 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 this is referred to a lot of different ways, but we have critical cultural studies in our fields that are more normative, and what that means is that they it comes with an understanding that there are certain things that are right or good, and some things that are not. Some people who do media economics, for example, um, are using a col- a critical cultural ways of understanding uh, media ownership, and that we can we can understand media economics uh, from quantitative points of view. We could talk about numbers, and we can talk about consolidation, um, and we can even talk about some of the large, powerful effects they play with some of the theories we'll be talking about in a few weeks. But some scholars use critical cultural theory to explain what's going on, to demonstrate that it not to explain what's going on, but to explain why it's bad. Um, that why why consolidation across industries and these large mega conglomerates are not a good thing for society and for democracy. Um, qualitative research does not always do this, but it tends to offer more judgment on the situation. Whereas quantitative theories, quantitative based theories. Um, will be much more about description of what's going on and, and trying to take a phenomenon and explain with numbers and data why why this thing is occurring. Um, really good theory, in my opinion, uses both. That it 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 has a descriptive element to it. It it, it can use verifiable social science methods to um, to explain things, but it does really good theories also kind of have a humanistic element in my mind to them um, because they can tell us while quantitative and, and description-based methodologies can tell us things th- as they exist, they can't tell us whether they should exist or why they exist. Um, and that gets in more into elements of the human heart and um, you know, uh, less, uh, less social science-based ways of understanding what's going on. That um, Sometimes this is about individual actors and decision-making. It's about ethics and, and, and so forth. So it, really good, powerful theories that I think uh, can, can tell us a lot about society really do kind of invoke what we call a mixed methods approach then, uh, and that they, um, they attempt to explain what is, but also why and whether it should be that way. Um, so qualitative would, would invoke things like history, philosophy, and, and, and things like that, ethics, um, and, and cultural studies. So when theory works... It's powerful. It can tell us um, things about the world and in a, in a way that can be predictive, and that is that I can, um, I can take a look at the media coverage, like, for example, right now of the imp- impeachment inquiry that's going on on Capitol Hill and be able to explain how the public is going to react to it um, or how this will play out in the press over the, the coming weeks. Um, that I can use theory to come up with predictions based on um, what the audience and how they will engage with that content and so forth. So we'll talk about some of those examples of theory in the coming weeks and how this can be done. Um, So it has a predictive quality to it, but it also has an explanatory quality to it. So one of the things I tell my students, for example, is that to really fully understand how this works is that you should be able to spot something that's going on in media and be able to explain it with theory that this is occurring because this theory tells us that this would have occurred. Um, and so it becomes kind of a backwards way of understanding um, phenomenon that we are seeing right now. So the major theories we will, we will cover 
on this podcast in the coming episodes. I'm going to try to devote an episode to each of them. Um, is a uh, first of all the uh, a theory known as agenda setting, which explains how media uh, set the set the tone for what we're thinking about all the time. Uh, we're going to talk about framing theory, which is about the elevation, um, selection, or exclusion of certain details that shape the way we understand information coming at us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, gatekeeping theory um, and its role in determining how media makers uh, choose what we see and, and what we don't see. Um, and we're going to talk about all those in the context of uh, what we call the transmission model of communication. And that is that it's when we, we very basically talked in the first episode about the process of communication being a center to receiver model. That is the most basic way that we have tried to describe this act for, for centuries. That it is more complicated than that. That there are more things going on than just a person sending a message to a receiver. And there are other processes in play that shape not only the content side of it, but the way it gets transmitted to you and then what the audience can do with it when it's all said and done. So in the coming episodes, we're going to kind of pick apart and define, describe, and give some, I'm going to give some examples of how those different theories work. Um, but this episode is kind of there to kind of shape um, at least how you're going to understand the next few um, and, and why we talk about theory and why it's so important um, for us to be able to understand how uh, we uh, how we exist in this media ecosystem. So the next time uh, we get together, I'm going to talk about um, gatekeeping theory first, and I'm going to talk about its role in um, in how you see what you see, what kind of media you get, um, largely what's being determined on the back end um, and um, before it ever gets published or transmitted to you. So I will catch you next time, and we'll talk about my favorite theory personally, which is gatekeeping. Thanks. If you have any questions or comments, I'm very happy to answer them or talk with you on Twitter at Jeremy Lataw. And I will see you next time. The Backshop is a non-commercial podcast recorded and produced by Jeremy Lataw at Lehigh University. Special thanks to Kaseki, whose music was used for this podcast and made available via Gemendo with a Creative Commons license. Thanks.